Some time ago, Grand, our pastor, said uh, you would discover something of the character of the Duke of Wellington by looking at his checkbook and looking at all the little stubs. Well, I've read a vast amount about the Duke of Wellington, too many books about him, but I never knew that. But what Glenn was saying, those stubs showed something of his character. Certainly he was a very generous man, and he loved children, which is, I always think, nice thought that he loved children, this great commander. If you want to know something of the character of the Apostle Paul, you can do no better than studying his prayers. His prayers reveal something of the character of the Apostle Paul. And I want this morning then to direct your attention to part of Paul's prayer for his friends at Colossae, chapter 1 and in verses 12 to 14. In verses 12 and 13, Paul reminds the Colossians of the way they were before conversion. He describes this pre-conversion state as being in darkness. In a similar way, Paul has spoken of the Romans before conversion. For example, in Romans 1 and 21, Paul says of them, their foolish hearts were darkened. The Romans... And the Colossians were described in this way because they had not experienced the light of the gospel. And that fact is as true of all the unconverted today as it was when Paul wrote his epistles nearly 2,000 years ago. And that's why in John chapter 1, the coming of Jesus is described as one who brings light. Speaking of Jesus in verse 4 of John, John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Very significantly, and I'm sure I've heard this before, ever to go to Geneva, to the Reformation wall, behind the statues of all the reformers, you will find this inscription, Post tenebri locks out of darkness light. Not so appropriate a statement. Because that's what the Reformation brought, didn't it? It brought light, the light of the gospel. But of course, until people receive uh, light, they are in darkness. Just like the Colossians. Fortunately, they did not remain in darkness, as Paul goes on to say in verses 12 to 13. And we begin the first well. And Paul says, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The apostle begins this verse with the fact that God the Father is the one who brought about the change in the life of the Colossians. It's a reminder, a simple reminder, that the grand scheme of salvation begins with God. He is the supreme mover of all things regarding salvation. It was then worked out 
his son and applied by the Holy Spirit. But it begins with God. And it cannot be any other way. Why? Well, because God was the one who was offended. He was offended by the sin of the Colossians as he's offended by our sins. So the process of salvation had to begin with God. Because, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in sin. And if you're dead in sin, you can't do anything for yourself. You need God to come by the power and might of his Holy Spirit to quicken you, to bring you to life. And we have to always remember that regarding those around us and those to whom we would witness that they need the Holy Spirit to quicken them, to open their blinded eyes. He cannot do it themselves. And you see, when you grasp that, it makes sense because then all the glory goes to God. And that's exactly as it should be. At all times, we human beings like to as it were, creep in, as it were, and say, we have done our bit, as it were. And while in a sense, of course, is that when we respond, but we have to remember it always, always begins with God. Because if God hadn't taken an initiative, if he hadn't decided to act, then the Colossians and you and I, well, for one thing, we wouldn't be here this morning if he hadn't done that for us. You wouldn't be found in church this morning, would you? very likely but God for most of us I presume most of us here this morning God graciously opened our eyes and we were able by his grace to call upon our saviour so God did something for these people in Colossae he did something for all of us he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Wow, that's wonderful, isn't it? Wow. He has qualified us, you and I are believers, to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. What a wonderful transformation God makes. That's what God, that's his expertise. He makes tremendous transformations. The Colossians were in darkness. But by the grace of God, they were brought into the kingdom of light. Such mm. a contrast. Mm. And he says, Paul does, that they were qualified to share in the kingdom of light. That is to say, God made it possible for them to enter the kingdom of light. See, it goes back always to God. Always it goes back in the first instance to God. He's the supreme mover in everything uh, regarding salvation. So God made this possible for the Colossians and for us to enter the kingdom of light. How was it possible? Well, he will go on to explain in the verses that follow. But for the moment, let's pause. And consider that transformation that God made for the Colossians. 
and made for us. This great transformation. God transformed the Colossians and us. Our former world was characterized by darkness, spiritual darkness, and how great that darkness is. You see it, evidence everywhere. The evil one blinded us so that we could not see the darkness of our souls. Though it's true that from time to time, perhaps, we were conscious something wasn't quite exactly right with us. But the problem was we weren't sure, well, what? They're not right, but what is wrong with us? And that's true of all our fellow human beings. <coughs> Many of them are aware something's not quite right with us. And if they, with honesty, look out into the world and all that happens and all that goes on in the world, if they're honest, they must say, something isn't right. But they don't quite know what it is that's not right with them. Then too, because of their problem, which is a spiritual one, then because of that they turn sadly to all sorts of things. And that's a tragedy of our fellow human beings. All the sort of strange things that they turn to are people who can't help them. They can't. They're powerless because they're just like the people looking at them. And our fellow human beings, though often troubled, knowing things are not quite right, don't know what's wrong. Because of that, they turn to all sorts of things, looking for a remedy not realizing that the remedy is only found in God. And that's absolutely. Now to return to verses we were looking at, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves. What beauty there is in that. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wow, that's wonderful. I hope that thrills your heart this morning. Warms it. That's what God has done. So here in this verse, the apostle elaborates on what happened to the Christians. Now his language is dramatic. He talks about them being rescued from the dominion of darkness. It may be dramatic, but it isn't in the least bit inappropriate. Though, of course, such language would not be approved today in our strange world where everything's being turned upside down. And the things we once thought were so clear for a lifetime have been challenged. So Paul's language is dramatic, but it's not inappropriate. He talks about them being rescued from the dominion of darkness. 
and it reminds me, and I'm sure perhaps it has done the same thing, it reminds us of the words of Charles Wesley's great hymn. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Tremendous horror. God so enabled Wesley to write these hymns that are so sound and Wesley said, this was my experience. I lay fast bound and sin and nature's night. And of course, you know, he goes on to talk about that coming of the light into his soul and his chains falling off and him being set free. Now, his words where he says, Long my imprisoned spirit life has bound in sin and nature's night, that perfectly express the polite of the Colossians and of ourselves without Christ. That's the way we were. That's the way our fellow human beings are and continue to be and kind of be otherwise until God and Christ intervenes in their lives. We, we need it rescuing. And that's what God But he did not simply rescue us. That was wonderful in itself. But he did something more. Our good and kind and generous God is. He brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now here's an interesting thought. Paul says that God has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Yet in reality, the fullness of that kingdom is still future. So what does Paul mean? Well, surely Paul is speaking like the prophets of old. When the prophets spoke of future events, they always spoke of them in the present tense. Why? They said, well, God says it's going to happen, so it's going to happen, and we can speak about it as if it has already happened, though it might be future. That's the way the prophets spoke. And it seems to me, in a way, that's the way the Apostle Paul's speaking. That in one sense, we have already entered in all the fullness of the kingdom of God, though the best, in a sense, is yet to be. Because God spoke to the prophets of coming events, they just said, well, it's happened. It'll happen. And so Paul speaks in a similar way. The prophets said, well, if God says something's going to happen, that's it. I wonder is that true of you this morning in your relationship to God? Do you really believe God has said certain things will happen? Therefore, there is good that's done. You can't say that of anyone else. People may all sorts of promise but can't fulfill them. Now it seems to me Paul is doing this here. For while the kingdom may well be a future thing, as far as Paul's concerned, the Colossians and we ourselves, we're already in that kingdom. Though the best is yet to be. But we're this remarkable group of people. We're the only people who in this life know something of that which is yet to be. We're the only people in the world who know something of eternal life. 
the best and fullness of is yet to be, but we're already knowing and experiencing something of it. At least I trust you have. Ah, are you a believer this morning? Have you trusted in Him? Well, if that's so, you have eternal life now. We can speak with God through His Son. And we are one, hallelujah, with all the saints who from their labors rest. We belong to that great multitude that no man can number. We don't like talking about the Holy Catholic Church. It disturbs me, but it only means universal. That's what Catholic means. And all believers belong to the Holy Catholic Church. The Church of God worldwide where every believer, every true believer is one in Christ. We know what it's like, don't we? We go on holidays or go on other places and we meet a believer from another country. They may have different ways of worship. But is it not true that we instantly feel a connection? Surely we do. They belong to Christ. They are our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to remind ourselves that we are all one in Christ Jesus. So we have eternal life now. We can speak with God through His Son. And we have this great uh, union, as it were, with all the saints who from their labors rest. We have the right clothes to wear for that kingdom. For we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Wonderful. So, God has provided us with that right thing. He's even given us the right clothes to wear for that kingdom. And surely that's something to praise God for. Let all the people of God say, Amen. Wonderful, isn't it? So now we come then and um, move on. And we come then to the final verse of what we've been looking at this morning. Into verse 14. And we're told, the Apostle says of his friends at Colossus, and he says of us this morning, in whom, that is of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice, our Paul puts it clearly, positively, assertively. We have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Here, of course, Paul reminds us that it is, that uh, he reminds us what it is that made it possible for us to be brought into the kingdom of God's Son. There are two facts, two things that qualified the Colossians and us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light: redemption and forgiveness of sin. First of all, redemption. Redemption reminds us again of why we needed rescuing. In Scripture, redemption almost always is related to captivity or slavery, slavery belonging to another. The people of Israel knew the reality of that while they were slaves in Egypt. They were in captivity. Their lives were not their own. 
They were under a cruel taskmaster who delighted in making their lives miserable as possible. So there came the day when he said, Pharaoh said to people in church, don't give them any straw when they're going to build bricks. Make them get their own straw and keep up the number of bricks that they were making. You know that story. Cruel taskmaster. That's not hard to see, surely. How all that applies to the sinner. He or she is in captivity to their taskmaster who is ruthless in control of their lives. He gives them no rest day or night and there is no escape from his clutches. He lands his pound of flesh and no amount of tears will bring forth any compassion from him. And yet he uh, subtly persuades those in his captivity that they are, you're really free, you know. You can enjoy yourself. And you know, I often am reminded as I think like this of the way Satan can make things so attractive. Satan has got the best publicity in the world. He's got the best publicity machines at his disposal and it reminds me of a hymn I used to sing a long long time ago I see the sights that dazzle the tempting sounds I hear wow it's not so applicable today never have we lived where things come right into our pockets and Satan is a master at using him you think of all the young people whose lives have been damaged and destroyed by the power of the social media, crippling them, destroying young, precious lives. I hope you weep for them. So I see the sights that dazzle the tempting signs I hear. That's the work of the devil. Fortunately, redemption redemption from such enslavement as possible through the Son of God's love. Hallelujah. Paul could say that the Colossians had redemption. In fact, he uses the words we have redemption in present tense reality. And what was true of the Colossians was just as true of Paul. Himself had been redeemed. And that's true of all believers. We have been redeemed, as Peter reminds us, 1 Peter 1 and 18. What does he say? With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. How wonderful it was. That day when John the Baptist suddenly saw a figure approaching him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's true. That's what he does. However, not only have the Colossians and Paul been redeemed, they also have received the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Redemption and forgiveness of sins go together. You cannot be redeemed without forgiveness for the sins that have enslaved you, gripped your heart, 
kept you in chains, kept you in the darkness. But if you're a believer this morning, and I trust all of you are, you alone know whether you are or not. You alone know your own heart and mind. And you alone know that God sees you exactly as you are. He sees all of us here, really, as we are. We look only on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. But if you are a believer, then you're one who's received forgiveness and you've received freedom. You've been redeemed and forgiven through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And no wonder then, Paul's prayer here is so full of joy. Of course it is. As he thinks of all that God has done for the Colossians. And I trust our hearts are full of joy for all that the Lord has done for us. So we too can join. And that sense of joy. For what Paul wrote of the Colossians is true for every believer. We have been redeemed, set free, our chains broken off, our eyes opened, our sins are forgiven, and we have been brought into the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of of the son he loves. Now, well, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, well, that's wonderful, but God didn't stop there. He brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's profound generosity. And that is what God wants others to enjoy. When we, relying on his grace and the work of his Holy Spirit, share the gospel with them, we long that their eyes will be opened, their chains will be broken, that they will be set free, and they will know what it is to be liberated, to be brought into the kingdom of God's Son. I trust that's true of all of you here this morning. Remember always, today is a day of salvation. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Time is still short. What a glorious prospect there is for all of us who are the saints of God by his wonderful grace. And to his name be all 